Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and all are welcome here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that sense that I invite you to turn to your left and right and greet the holy among you this morning. It's our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our service by lighting a chalice, the symbol of our faith. So please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice, which are printed in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. We Unitarian Universalists are a pluralistic lot. We have people who are humanist, atheist, who draw from earth-centered traditions, Christianity, Judaism, and on and on. So sometimes we get asked, well, then what holds you all together if you don't believe in all the same things? And one of the things that holds us together here at this church is our mission. It's our common purpose. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. And breathing together, we go to that deeper place within, that spark of the divine that well of compassion and love. Together, we lift up that love to the folks in Nice and the citizens of Turkey. Breathing together, we find a quieter place, a calmer place, a place where we can know that deep source of wisdom within each of us. Let us enter a moment of sacred silence together, remembering that the sound of small children counts as silence in this congregation. Our preeminent Unitarian Universalist theologian of the 20th century, James Luther Adams, said this, Human beings, individually and collectively, become human by making commitment, by making promises. The human being as such is the promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-renewing creature. Now, another way to put that is that we are covenant-making creatures. A covenant is an ancient concept that, described most simply, contains a set of promises we make to one another about how we will be together. Now, for Unitarian Universalists, this ancient concept becomes particularly vital because we don't have a creed, a prescribed set of beliefs to which we must all adhere. Our ecclesiology, which means the way we organize ourselves as a religious people, is rooted in the covenantal. Our theological perspectives are necessarily grounded in relationship. Now, I have a great love and admiration for James Luther Adams and his work, but I do think he left one important thing out of that quote that I just shared with you. I think as human beings, we are also promise-breaking creatures. 
We are imperfect, and we fail each other sometimes. Now, that doesn't make our covenants less important. It makes them more so. Our covenants, like this church's covenant that we all just read together earlier, provides us with the ways in which we can get back into right relationship when we have failed. They provide the standard that we can call ourselves back to. Now, this concept of the covenant goes back to even before the times described in the Hebrew scriptures, or you may have heard them called the Old Testament, and it was likely borrowed from ancient civilizations that predated that of the Israelites or even their ancestors. We humans have been making and breaking promises for a very, very long time. And we have, through the ages, also been making covenants with our gods and they with us. Early in the Hebrew Scriptures, for instance, in Genesis 9, God makes a covenant with Noah to never again flood the earth, killing everything on it save that which was on the ark with Noah. Oops, I may have overreacted a bit there. You know me, temper, temper. Here's a lovely rainbow so that every time you see one, I will remind you that I promise never to flood the whole planet ever again. We good? Next comes God's covenant with Abraham, which seems to have two versions, one in Genesis 15 and one in Genesis 17. God promises Abraham a grant of land upon which God will raise up a new nation from among Abraham's descendants. Never mind that Abraham's wife is barren. Never mind that Abraham doesn't know where exactly this land is or when exactly the new nation will get raised up. Never mind that there are already folks living on said land. God will take care of everything. And all Abraham has to do is wander aimlessly on faith for an unspecified distance in time. Oh, and also circumcise himself and all of his male descendants and their descendants and on and on into perpetuity and also any of the male slaves living in any of these family households. Bummer. And then, of course, there's the whole thing where God allows Abraham's elderly wife, Sarah, to bear a son, Isaac, only to later demand that Abraham sacrifice Isaac to God, which Abraham prepares to do until God sends an angel to say pretty much, Dude, we didn't think you'd actually do it. Here's a ram. Sacrifice that instead. It'll do. Continuing the fun in the book of Exodus, God next made a covenant with the entire Israelite people, Abraham's descendants. Now, this is the famous story of Moses going up to the top of Mount Sinai, where God gave him the Ten Commandments and bound the Israelites to obey them, as well as the other laws laid out in the Torah the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Often called the Mosaic Covenant, it was similar to the treaties, contracts, or oaths that sovereign rulers of that time period made with their subjects, and it stipulated the really good thing God would do for the chosen people if they were obedient to the oath, and the really dreadful, terrible things God would do to them if they violated it, which they did and which God did. Temper, temper. Finally, in Samuel 2, God makes a covenant with David that he and his lineage will be the kings, the royal lines of Israel. Now, unlike the Mosaic covenant, God made this covenant unconditional, meaning that even if David or his descendants misbehaved, while God might punish them in other ways, he would never take their royalty away from them. And once again, misbehave they did and punish them severely. God did. 
David even had a very special friend named Jonathan, who upon meeting David, and I'm quoting scripture here, made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David. Later, when the two friends learned that they must be separated from each other to save David's life, the scriptures say they kissed each other and wept with each other. And then, after Jonathan was killed in a battle, David wrote a song in which he says of Jonathan, Greatly beloved were you to me, your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Apparently, some of those so-called abominations God supposedly laid out in Leviticus have been getting ignored for a very, very long time and by some of God's favorites. I'm just saying. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about one more of the times this concept of covenant comes up in the Hebrew Scriptures. You may have heard the story of Job, the good and righteous man who fears God and shunned evil. Job is living the good life. He's healthy, has a successful business, a wonderful wife and family. And then one day, God is bragging on his faithful servant Job when one of his angels says, Well, you know, maybe Job is only so righteous and pious because you've blessed him with so much cool stuff. Take it all away and let's see how pious he is then. And so they kill Job's children and destroy his business and property. And when that's not enough, they inflict his entire body with terrible, painful sores. Long story short, Job clings to his righteousness. And after some arguing back and forth with some rather unhelpful friends, he basically brings a serious breach of covenant lawsuit against God. He sues God for God having failed to uphold his end of the contract, even though Job has remained righteous even after all those terrible things that God let the angel do to him. So, in answer to the lawsuit, God appears to Job out of a whirlwind, saying, Who is this who darkens counsel, speaking without knowledge? Sounds a little testy and defensive already, if you ask me. Anyway, God continues, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Speak, if you have understanding. Have you penetrated the sources of the sea? Have you ever commanded the day to break or walked in the recesses of the deep? In other words, basically saying, I don't have to adhere to any stinking covenant because, well, I'm God. To which Job pretty much replies, well, you do kind of have a point there, which pleases God. So God restores Job to his old life, but even better than before. Now, I've been having a little fun with these ancient covenant stories by providing one possible interpretation of each of them that is far too literal we, to get meaning out of them, we have to read them as poetry or allegory, not as being literally true. For instance, a more poetic reading of the story of Job would get at the idea that the world doesn't operate on a system of retributive justice, wherein if we only live decent ethical lives, then we will somehow be rewarded with lives that are carefree and without tragedy. I think we all know it's a little more complicated than that. And even though this ancient concept of covenant is an important one for us as Unitarian Universalists, I think these stories, especially the story of Job, get at another potential warning about covenants. It can be problematic when the parties to a covenant have a highly unequal balance of power. Can the less powerful party truly consent? How does a human being hold a God accountable to a covenant? 
I think of our current struggles with our criminal justice system, which promises to protect and to serve. That is a covenant by which we, in return, cede that system many powers and much resources. Now that we're seeing that system disproportionately arrest, convict, imprison, and even kill people of color, we're witnessing a great struggle to hold the justice system accountable to its promises, its side of the covenant. But that system has been militarized and monetized and has over time been granted almost godlike powers by lawmakers and court rulings. So we face a mighty, mighty struggle indeed to bring about such accountability. But engage in the struggle we must because to be fully human, we must become promise-fulfilling creatures. Another potential problem with a belief that a God made a covenant with a select group of people is that it can foster a sense of what some scholars have called chosenness within those people. And scholars have found that this sense of chosenness can become woven into the very symbols and language of a culture so that even if that culture may become more secular, that sense of chosenness will still remain deeply embedded within it. Some scholars have claimed that this was at least a part of the Zionist movement of the early 19th and early 20th century, that so many of those folks were otherwise progressive and secular. Other scholars have also talked about how the Gospel of Matthew begins with the lineage of Jesus tying him all the way back to the line of David and Abraham, and that this provides Christians with a similar sense of chosenness. It creates this kind of ultimate fulfillment of those covenants from the Hebrew scriptures I was just talking about, or a new covenant with Jesus as the ultimate savior and king and Christians as the chosen people. Such scholars attribute Western Europe's and the U.S.'s historical tendencies toward imperialism, at least partially to that sense of chosenness. And I think we have to be careful not to fall prey to a similar way of thinking and being. If we were, for instance, to only focus on that internal church covenant that we read together earlier, if we were to forget that our principles that we also read together earlier are expressed in the form of a covenant with our fellow Unitarian Universalist congregations, a covenant to affirm and promote those principles together out in our wider world. And even our mission in its own way is a promise that we make to one another to work toward a shared purpose both within these church walls and beyond them. If we were to forget these things, our covenant, the promises that we make can become too narrow and internally focused. We can become in danger of becoming a social club of the self-chosen. Now, I'm pleased to say that I currently don't see that happening here at this church. Our mission, I think, pushes us toward having both that internal and external focus. And I'm also thrilled to say that there is a movement afoot within our wider Unitarian Universalist denomination to live out a greater sense of covenant among and beyond Unitarian Universalists more widely. Now, we can trace the way that we organize our churches and the covenantal heritage of what would become Unitarian Universalism in the U.S., all the way back to the Cambridge Platform of 1648. 
The Cambridge Platform was an agreement among our Puritan ancestors that, among other things, independent churches should be organized among members who covenant, who promise to walk together in the ways of love. Each of these churches, like we still do today, would choose its own officials, call its own ministers, govern itself, and own its own property. And since it's Stewardship Testimonial Day, I should also mention that that means we get to provide the contributions to pay our own bills also. But the Cambridge platform did not stop there. It also called for churches to work together for each other's welfare and to promote the greater good. What if we took that part of our heritage truly to heart? What if we promised to walk together in the ways of love, not just within our church, but also with our other local Unitarian Universalist churches? What if we covenanted to walk together in the ways of love with our fellow Unitarian Universalists here in our southern region? What if we did so even at the national and worldwide level? And what? What if we expand this idea about promising to walk together in the ways of love beyond Unitarian Universalism, finding interfaith partnerships and secular friends that would join us in an ever-growing covenant of mutual love and support? What more might become possible? How much more power might we all have to make beneficial changes in our communities, our nation, and our world? These are the questions that are being asked within Unitarian Universalism as a whole right now. These are the efforts in which our denomination will be engaging as we move into the future. I hope our church will be an active part of those discussions and that effort. I know I plan to do so, and I promise to keep you informed as I learn more. And yes, you can take that as a covenant. We human beings are promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-breaking, and promise-renewing creatures. And if we expand this idea of covenant-making to a much broader level, further and further beyond our own tribe and maybe even to this entire planet on which we live and depend, as well as all of the creatures upon it, almost anything becomes possible. Suddenly, God's rainbows become abundant. As we move in that direction, I look forward to continuing to walk in the ways of love with all of you. Please join me in saying our words for extinguishing the chalice, which are printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth. The warmth of community are the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we go out into our world today, we do hold in our heart our covenant. We carry with us the sacred promises we have made among ourselves and with our larger world. We walk together in the ways of love, not just today, but throughout all of our days. Until next we are together again, be blessed. May the congregation say amen, amen. and blessed be. blessed be. Go in peace.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.